sure to hand these out, let people know that uh, this event's coming. So we got those for you. Well, I've heard amazing things about the past couple weeks. The All Worship Night and Stephanie leading us in finding a secret place. And all along that time, I was uh, super far away, South Africa. It took me 36 hours to get home. <laughs> and uh, I thought I was going to be okay with the jet lag and the sleep changes and being nine hours ahead. Uh, I got my butt whooped coming back with the jet lag. It was not fun. And it's been hard for me to kind of process and think what I've experienced and try and find where God uh, has me in the whole context of why did he lead me to South Africa? Why did he open up the opportunity for me to go? And what does he have for me to learn? What does he have for us to learn from that? Now, the event that I attended is called Lausanne. And it's the Lausanne movement was started by Billy Graham back in the 60s. And it's, uh, with the evangelical movement, there is no governance. There is no organizing body that kind of governs the whole global church, if you will. And so the Lausanne movement was set to be a delegation of all the global leaders and, and church delegates and pastors and theologians. And they're supposed to come together and discuss the issues that affect the global church. And so I got an opportunity to attend uh, several years ago when we actually launched this company here one night. It's called Worldwide Open. And it's a software system that helps connect people with resources around the world and service opportunities. So if you have a gifting of, let's say, clean water drilling, that happens to be your interest, you're interested about that, then this software is going to introduce you to ways to go and do that around the world, or it's going to introduce you to resources you can read. So we developed this software a long time ago. Well, the Lausanne movement, they've only had two prior events. They came to us and they said, we want to use this technology to help connect all of our global delegates. And so I got an invite as part of them using our software to attend. This is an invite-only event. This is the third one that's ever happened in history. There's a photo. Uh, I took this on one of the last nights. It's 4,000 people in there from 197 countries, almost every country represented. And this is when they were leading all the flag processionals. It was a crazy and amazing event. And I come back here, I really feel that I've been a part of a life-changing event. And here's the, the challenge is that before I left, though, and you, many of you guys know that I run a couple businesses and I'm self-employed and I have my hands you know, going a million miles an hour and all sorts of different things, is I was actually not looking forward to this trip. I was thinking, it's like, man, I have all these things I gotta do. I'm gonna be nine hours you know, time difference. I'm gonna be gone for two weeks. And so I had a really hard time letting go of both this and about all the things I have in the office. And so my wife will testify, even the morning of, I'm sitting there like, before I go to the terminal, I'm like, I still can, you know, bail out. I, I can give a totally good excuse, you know. But I knew that this was a historic event in the global church, and I had an opportunity to be part of history. And, and so I was like, I, I got to go to this. So a few things about this. Uh, again, it's, they talk about issues of urban missions, of uh, Muslim uh, countries, and how to, to bring the faith in there. And and what was amazing is that all these delegates from all over the world, it's the, the largest gathering of all the, the Christian leaders ever in one place for one event. And people from China, the last day, there's like 200 people that are supposed to come from China. And the Chinese government revoked all of their visas, canceled all their tickets. We had people that would come and speak to us that were a week after having their husband be buried because he was martyred in the field. We had people, when they come out, and they'd bring a test in where they live and what God has done in their life, they'd have to cancel all the cameras and bring up people, hold up signs in international languages, of all languages, saying no photos. Because their very image of knowing that they were attending this event 
that they were speaking the gospel would put their whole entire family in harm's way. And so one person I saw flash go up, and all of a sudden you had, you know, ten people, the stewards go over there, and they, they took the camera, they had to delete the images, and this is a serious event. While we were there, we had hackers from, from, they said, about 40 different countries trying to take down everything that was going on there. You want to talk about intensity, that was intense. And that was just like the, the being around the leaders and the global thinkers and being a part of these great things. Not even the other experiences I experienced during the week. And so I come back to you, being feel like I was sent there, and I want to share with you the things that really stirred my heart. And the whole message tonight is that we would encounter the things that break God's heart. If you happen to have a Bible, I'm going to read out of John chapter 11. John 11, verse 32. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if he had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. And Jesus wept. Jesus wept. This is the shortest Bible verse in all the entire Bible. If there's one verse you can memorize, and I did this when I was like in third grade, you know, it's like, I memorized a Bible verse, two words. John eleven thirty five. Jesus wept. Everyone can remember that. And I think I've always passed over that verse is I don't think I actually totally grabbed the gravity of the concept that the king of glory that was sent in earthly, in earthly fashion came and he wept for his people. Do we ever think about God crying, Jesus weeping? That's an image that is not very familiar in my mind, but Jesus is weeping with his people. What does God weep over? I feel I've been brought back to communicate three things that I believe that God weeps over for us. And he allowed my heart to weep there while I was present and experiencing things. What's amazing is my wife, of course, the morning I leave, she gives me this, you know, Ziploc bag. Of course, she sends, like, tons of cookies and snacks and all sorts of things, but she sends me a card for every single day I'm there. And, I know, oh, she's the epic wife, of course, right? So, but every day, and she knew that I was kind of struggling about, you know, should I really go? But she, in almost every card, said, the Holy Spirit is speaking to you. What is he saying? You've been sent here for purpose. What is God saying? What is God speaking to your heart? Listen, are you hearing it? I've been haunted by John 17, 3. It says that you would know the living God. And that know, I've said this before, is the same know that is talked about in Adam and Eve. And Adam knowing Eve. It's a very sexual, intimate know. And John 17, 3 says this is eternal life, that we would know the living God in such an intimate fashion. And that haunts me that I would stand at the end of eternity and feel like I've totally missed the intimate heart of God. That I've completely missed what it means to be intimate with God's heart and to hear the things that break his heart and he would lead us to find the things that break ours. The first thing tonight that I feel that God has led me to learn about as Jesus weeps is that his heart weeps and breaks for people around the world. Around the world, not just Sacramento, not just California. Not just Sacramento County, Yolo County, Southern California, Irvine, no. God weeps 
for his people around the world. I'm at this, this delegation, right? I'm like white American. Like how homogenous is that, right, in our culture? I was like the minority. The fact that I spoke English was like, you know, barely in the majority there. I mean, I'm meeting people from Turkey, from Nigeria, from Ethiopia. I'm meeting people from all over the world. And I'm hearing about what God is doing in all parts of, of every country in the world. What do you do? Oh, I just lead a few mission trips. Well, tell me about that. Well, I have 300 mission fields in all of Southeast Africa, and, you know, we serve 4,000 people, and, you know, what? Yeah, and hearing about the stories about how God is moving in the global church. I felt so small being in Sacramento, being the white American. I felt so insignificant to hear about the people in Ethiopia and how Ethiopians have a visa to travel to all the Muslim countries and how people are masquerading as business consultants, going to Arab nations and consulting with leaders because a business consultant doesn't get checked. And Ethiopians can go there freely and hearing about how they're bringing people to the faith in large quantities and numbers. Hearing people in, in, in trapped in slavery through all parts of India coming out. And I, and I was just so impressed that, wow, God's global perspective for his church is so much greater than I ever imagined. And I get to talk to the people. I get to interact and hear about what they're doing. And God is weeping that we would have a global vision for his church. Acts 1.8 says, but when you receive power from the Holy Spirit, that you will be my witnesses to all of Jerusalem and to Judea, to Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Acts 1.8, you will be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. Matthew 28 says that go and make disciples of all nations. All nations. Jesus has wired us to be world changers. And we've specifically hold on to that prophecy for our group. We feel that in the, the fabric of our community that we have people that are going to be changing and shaping the world. And the question is, do we want to change Sacramento? Or do we want to influence the world? As we look at people serving around the world, seeing that God's people around the globe, everywhere, that we can go and serve in one particular country and we can have such a ripple effect in these countries that would leave a, a huge crater for the gospel. That God has such a compassion for his people around the world. I'm really impressed as I've, came, as I've come back the U.S., that Jesus has put us in the United States. If you think about it, if there's 100 people born, only four of them are born in the United States. Four out of 100 are born in the United States. You've been born into the most prosperous nation in all of creation. You have been given privilege and opportunity and access to information, wealth, and resources far beyond anybody else in the entire world. Only four people out of 100 get that privilege. We have virtually struck the lottery by just being born here. What are we going to do about it? In one of the sessions, John Piper stood up and said, the greatest stumbling block to God's mission is his own people failing to live like God's people. The greatest obstacle to God's mission is not other faiths, is not disease, it's not any of those things. It's his own people. Have you ever thought about that? That God's global mission, the greatest obstacle, is his own people failing to live and act like God's own people. That convicts me that it's been echoing in my head ever since I was there. I don't want to be a stumbling block 
to God's mission. I believe there comes a certain responsibility that we have as we've been born into this country and this nation with the resources we have to think globally. To think that God has given us influence to do grand things. Yes, we need to be focused locally. We need to serve those around us. But I believe God in the scriptures call us to have a global mindset because I think that he wants 12 men, and as he started, to change the world. I think he can do a lot more with us who really seek him. I believe the gospel has so much potential if we're willing to believe in ourselves that we have the DNA that God has given us to be the world changers. And what's interesting, too, is that I was so convicted is that one of the speakers, John Piper, again, was talking about this global tension in the church. And he was talking about how a certain group of people, all they want to do is just serve just the humanitarian needs. They just want to drill wells. That's all they want to do. And other people, all they want to do is they just want to have people say the sinner's prayer. And he stood before the entire global Congress, and he said, there's a tension in the global church that you people over here, you just want to focus on the human suffering. You over here want to focus on the the eternal suffering. He said, God is calling us to be passionately concerned about all suffering, especially the eternal suffering. And he said, as this keeps on ringing in my head, is that if you choose one to the exclusion of the other, if you choose one of those and not give the other, whether you give the evangelism and not serve the need, whether you serve the need and not be concerned about the eternal suffering, that you either have a defective view of hell or you have a defective heart. You either have a defective view of hell or you have a defective heart. Does that stir anybody here? Does that stir you to think that, wow, God has given me influence. I'm here. What am I going to do about it? Have I ever thought about that God will use me for things such as mercy mercy ships? That there might be a calling for you to go and serve around the country, around the world. Have you thought about El Salvador before? Have you thought about going to Africa? Why not? God is passionately concerned about his people. Every Christian believes in the gospel, right? But not every Christian believes in the urgency of the gospel. We all would say we believe the stack of words, but do we believe in the urgency of it that God is calling us to be part of his redemption process? Number two, is God's heart breaks for his people who are not reconciled to him. Is that God weeps for those who are not reconciled to him. The first being the lost. God's heart weeps over those who don't know him praying and seeking that God would show us who around us needs a Holy Spirit encounter, who around us needs the truth of Jesus to set them free. God is so concerned that we, his people, are concerned about those who don't know him. I think that edge has been lost. I think it's too easy for us when we don't have to stand before people and have people not take a photograph because we might get killed if we go back. We enjoy the safety, the comfort to come as we go. Go see, please post any quote on Facebook. Take any photo. We took a photo, you know, just of us hanging out. Like, no one else in these other countries can do that. But they are putting their faith and their life on the line every moment that they're a Christian. We heard from one lady. Her husband is a medical missionary. And he had been drug out of his convoy, tortured, and then murdered. And she had been back for five days. It was her flight back from Afghanistan. 
and landed in Cape Town, and she'd just finished burying her husband. And she stood before the Congress and said, this is what it's all about. And she read a note that he had been writing. And the note was still stained with the blood splatters from his murder. Talking about how these people came to Christ today. What a marvelous and amazing trip this is. Yeah, it's dangerous. Yeah, it's scary. But these people came to Christ today. We're discipling these other people. God is good. And she sat there and she was trembling this note as she was reading it. About people who are living their faith like it's matters and eternal significance that our lives are going to influence those who will spend eternity in, in heaven. I can't wait to meet that man who wrote that note, has his blood on that, that paper, and said that that man died, that a few would be saved, and then I get to meet him someday and thank him. Because when I heard that, it made me feel that our circumstances are so limited for what we give God potential for. Why don't we preach the gospel? Why don't we take more boldness? I was thinking about this, like, I have lots of opportunities every single week to give people the information about Jesus. Every week. I was at a church service, and they talked about this exact same thing. And I'm not going to make us do this. But the pastor stood up there, and he's talking about evangelism, talking about the loss, and he's like, raise your hand if you've prayed with someone to accept Jesus this past year. Raise your hand if you have led someone, the sinner's prayer, brought them into the kingdom, they are eternally saved, they will spend eternity with heaven, with Jesus, with you. Raise your hand if you were part of that with somebody this year. It's like, I'm not going to say it this month, this, this week. This year. I think out of the entire congregation of several hundred, two people raise their hands. What are we doing to advance God's kingdom? What are we doing to bring people more into his presence, into his, his salvation? Why don't we do that? I was so convicted on this. I was in uh, the towns, and, and I, I found a bunch of souvenirs. I was buying some souvenirs, and I met this guy named Daniel. And so I was learning about Daniel. I was learning about everything that he does and how he makes money selling these carvings and things. There's a photo of him right there. I learned that he lives off of about $3 a day. He hopes to sell enough of these little carven trinkets in the back you see there to survive. So I said, man, I would, I would love to, like, go buy you some food. He's like, sure. You know, so I'm, like, walking over, and we're learning about things, and I'm, you know, we go to, like, the grocery store, and, you know, he's, like, racking up on Coke, you know, and, like, chicken breasts and things. <laughs> like, sure, why not, you know? And so he, like, loads up this shopping cart, right? <clears throat> and I'm excited because, you know, like, Oh, yeah, you know, we're meeting the needs. And so we're walking back, and all of a sudden my heart starts racing. And I hear the voices, you either have a defective view of hell or you have a defective heart. At that moment, I was so convicted, and I just put my arm around him as we're walking. I was like, Daniel, tell me you know Jesus. You are too nice of a guy. Tell me you know Jesus. And I, it, it took me so much to gather the, the mustard to... to bring those words out of my mouth because I was so comfortable and just saying, here's the food, bye-bye. Jesus loves you. You know, God bless you, right? Don't, don't we do that? We do something nice and then our evangelism is like, God bless you, you know. Hopefully they get the message, you know. I do it all the time. Not anymore, though. Not after this guy. I put my arm around him and was like, Daniel, do you know Jesus? He's like, oh, man. 
yeah, but my family does, but I, I just, I don't, I don't know where I'm at. Like, my family goes to church, but I can't be a part of it because i got to work. And i got to share with him about how Matthew 6.33 says, Seek him first, and God will meet all of your needs, but seek him. Jesus is the source. I know that you have a family to feed, but trust God. Would you put your hope in him? And his eyes start welling up. And I knew that I had made a connection. If nothing else, I was maybe put in Cape Town to connect with this guy and tell him that Jesus wants to reconnect. And he gave me this huge hug. And all of a sudden, I have this guy, like, I bought all these, like, crappy souvenirs from him, and now we're, like, having, like, an intimate moment. It was so fun. And I was like, sweet. So we're, like, we embraced and we prayed together. And I just was so moved, and I felt Daniel in the lion's den was the word that came to my mouth. It was like, Daniel stands before lions that threaten his life. And then God put this, the lions to sleep. And I prayed with him that as he stands before the lions of his culture, of his community, of the poverty, of the economic dire straits, the lions that seek to devour him and his family would not prevail. And we had such a powerful moment. So we, we changed numbers, and I, I left, and I actually came back. I was like, about 45 minutes later, I tracked him, and I was like, I gotta get a photo of you. I can't, like, miss this. Like, I gotta remember you after this. God is passionate about people being reconciled to his art. Now, that's just the lost. The second component to that is God is passionate and his heart weeps that his own people would be reconciled in repentance to him. The other thing on this, okay, yeah, when was the last time you led someone to Christ? Yeah, maybe not a long, maybe not too much. When was the last time that you got on your knees and you repented to Jesus? One of the other powerful things that we experienced was a whole entire day about repentance. We have all the leaders from the entire global church here, and we had a speaker come up, and he just delivers this amazing message and just cutting everybody with truth and just like, we have idols of pride and success. We are no different than the Israelites who bowed down to the worship and worshiped the golden calf. We are no different. And he just like delivered this powerful message on the stranglehold of idolatry in the church and how we've used manipulation to get success and how we've twisted statistics to get our way and to get funding about how we've used the prosperity gospel to tell people come and pray and God will give you $10,000 if you pay us $5,000. I mean, all these crazy things. And then we went story after story about how the global church needs to come to repentance. And he stopped it. And he says, everybody get on your knees right now. Everybody. And everyone's like, well, I'm in like a suit, you know. Like everyone's like all dressed nice around like these big tables. And there was no kidding. He's like, get on your knees now. The global leaders, and everybody hunkered down, and they asked, pray for repentance for your church, for your ministry, for your family, for those who you're not reconciled in your relationships. Do you have relationships in your family you're not reconciled with? Repent on behalf of your country. Cry out. This is not a silent repentance. And so the, the global leaders got down and they cried out. And you could hear weeping from corners of the room. You could hear shouting. Some people got up and were just so moved. And here I looked around. And I could not believe how God is calling us as leaders, his flock, that we ourselves would be brought back to repentance to him. How we're so short-sighted for how we have strayed from God's purposes and heart. 
we as believers need to recognize it's all about him and not about us. And where we've gone wrong and where we've gone astray, we can experience the intimacy of God. We will never be as whole spiritually as when we are on our knees seeking repentance and seeking God to reconcile us. If you have not been on your knees and just asked God for forgiveness for the things that you've done, for the ways in which there's been manipulation in your life, if you've not got on your knees and cried out to God, I beg you, please try it. For that moment, I felt that God shined his face down on the leaders, and there was such a peace that came from it. I felt like all this garbage had just been taken out of the room. And after that, that changed the whole entire week. That we have a mindset that God's own people would seek God's own heart in repentance for what they've done. And the third and final is that God's heart breaks for the forgotten. Psalm 34, 18 says, The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. One of the days that I had there, we had a day off. We got to go visit the townships around. Now, Cape Town has like the largest disparity of wealth. I just shot this like outside of like our car window driving. Most of the outer parts of Cape Town look like this. These horrible tin walls, tarps, everything all over each other. I mean, slums, miles and miles and miles of slums. And they build graveyards next to the slums. As you go into like these big slum yards, you see big graveyards. How would you like to wake up every day in one of these homes and look out your window and see the place where someone's going to bury you? And they've run out of space, and so they bury three, four, five people in, in each little spot. There's gravestones upon gravestones. There's forgotten names everywhere. And I can't imagine living in circumstances in which my entire existence, I look at this shack that I live in, and I look at where I'm going to die soon. In these townships, it's 80% unemployment. It's the highest uh, population of HIV, and the, the HIV AIDS virus spreads faster in Africa than anywhere else in Cape Town, and South Africa is the epicenter of it. And so you have people that are ravaged economically. You look at the circumstance that they live, and so one day we've got to go and visit some schools. We've got to go visit the classrooms and the principals, and I have a friend who started an organization that helps provide scholarships for kids in Cape Town or one of these townships to go to school. So we went to one of these schools, and we got to experience what it's like to go to school. We've got to like, see their food and see how they operate. I took a couple photos of some of the kids. Let me show the first one. I have a nice camera. I love photography. Took a couple photos. Let's show the next one. True, sweet. Look at that one, right? So stop right there. So these are the kids I'm around. And my heart starts to move. Because God is beginning to remind me that he is so passionately concerned about the forgotten. He is so passionate and weeps over those who are downtrodden and have lost all hope. In these schools, though there's smiling faces, there is no hope. There is no aspiration. There is no ideas of what I could be someday. You just are. My life is the slums. My life is this. And now I'll show the next photo. 
We went to a handicapped school. We spent this entire day with these handicapped kids. You know, when the photo's like this, it makes a great poster, right? And all those smiling kids, you know, it's great. We went to school and we spent the entire day with these kids. And we got to interact with them, push them around. I, was, I have this little wheelchair, and this girl's name is Kynesha. And so I was wheeling her around, and we were going around everywhere. And, and so my heart bleeds with such pain when I'm around people who are disabled. I have to confess. Because I feel such sorrow in my heart that those are their circumstances. I didn't even want to go to this township. I didn't want to go to this school because I knew that we were going to be exposed to this. I thought maybe there'd be a few, but there was hundreds and hundreds of kids that are in wheelchairs having every sort of handicap and disability. And we spent time, we played soccer with them. And we did life with them. And so this little girl, I took a liking to. And as I took time to take this photo, I got next to her. I haven't been able to be straight on this at all this week. And so she can't control her muscles. So she's doing this. And so I go next to her, and I, I put my arm around her. And she's there, and she's, like, flapping her arm. And so she's trying to get up, and I'm, like, pulling her arm down. I'm trying to, like, get it so we can take a nice, calm photo. You see my other hand holding that other arm still. So we could have a nice photo, so maybe I could hang it somewhere. So she's here, and she can't control this one. So I'm trying to pull her left one down until all of a sudden I realize she's trying to put her arm over me. It just kills me. At that moment, I realized that Jesus' heart had finally connected with mine. I realized that even though I couldn't speak her language, even though I couldn't even relate to her handicap, even though I could not improve her circumstances one little bit, that God brought me all this way to connect with his heart through a girl in a wheelchair. And it let me know that he is so passionate about these people that are forgotten and are hopeless. I don't want to be a stumbling block to God reaching these people. I don't want to be a stumbling block to have God bring repentance to his global leaders. I don't want to be a stumbling block to have God reach the lost. But we know that the greatest obstacle that God has in reaching all these and reaching these people is us. Does this stir in you? Does this do something in your heart? Does this, does this stir any emotion in your heart? And maybe it's hard because I got to witness it firsthand. I got to witness the embarrassment as I try to hold her arm down from trying to go over me. And maybe that's pretty heavy. That was a big experience. And it's been like haunting me. And I'm trying not to let it bother me. But at the core of it, I got to know that when our hearts move, when our hearts bleed for somebody, that Jesus' heart is right there next to it. That in our own personal heartbreak, that Jesus is communicating to us something of great significance. When our hearts bleed, Jesus weeps. If you realize back in the text in John 11, that Jesus was not weeping because Lazarus was dead. 
He was weeping because he saw the weeping hearts of his people. May we not underestimate the power of our own personal weeping hearts for those who are broken and lost. May we not forget the power in which God's heart will move as our hearts move. Are there areas and things that you shy away from because you think it's too hard or too difficult to be a part of? Are there areas of your life in which you say, I can't do that because it hurts me too much? I tell you, the places where your heart hurts the most is probably where God wants you the most. I tell you, I don't think I felt more intimate to Jesus' heart and for his love for his people until I met this girl. And it was such a powerful demonstration of it. And God is so good to use an experience like this to draw us into him. He's so good that he would use little girls and use a handicapped school and use a trip I didn't want to go to and take all these things and give us such an amazing encounter of his heart. Do we know what moves God's heart? Do you know what moves your heart? I encourage you guys, please. Life is not about pursuing success. Life is a journey about pursuing significance. Do you want to be successful or do you want to be significant? If we want to be successful, we can probably chalk it up to a certain dollar amount. I want to have significance. I couldn't fix any of the problems this girl has. I can't do a dang thing about her economic circumstances. I can't do anything about it. But you know what? For a moment, I had significance in her life. But for a lifetime, she'll have significance in my life. I will look at this photo and hold this. This is probably the most important photo I've ever taken. Because that was the moment which I realized that our time here, our place in Sacramento, our opportunity we have is not for us, it's for others. God has given us a great opportunity to speak his heart into the lives of others, to bring them into his presence, into his heart. Will we do it? I love it that Mercy's here tonight. Would you consider taking one of their trips? Would you pray about getting out of Sacramento, out of California? I don't care if you have to move. Would you consider getting out of this bubble we call America and experiencing lives like this? Would you consider the trips that are available? We have one to El Salvador. Pray about it now. You'll encounter hundreds of kids like this. What are the experiences right now that are shaping and molding your heart? If you don't have things that move your heart, I wonder if you have a heart. And if you don't, let's go on a trip. I promise you, when we go to experiences like this, you don't come back the same. And that is what it's really about, is that we expose ourselves to things that mold us and change us forever. Do we want to sit in isolation? Isolationism, I believe, is rebellion to God. Now that I've been there, now that I've read the scriptures, now that I know that God's heart for his global church and his global people and the global issues that we serve. Isolationism is rebellion to God's calling for us. We need to have a global vision for the significance that he wants us to play in that. And maybe all you need to hear tonight is that you have a place to play in it. Maybe all that you need to know tonight is that God can use you. We have amazing people in this room talking to someone who's doing psychology and government We have engineers. We have contractors. We have physicists. We have coaches. We have mentors. We have athletes. We have everybody. 
As we have the band come, I want you to think about this. Where does your life intersect with God's calling? Where does your life, your existence intersect and get on a collision course for God's heart? Would we have nothing else leave here tonight questioning everything that we do? Questioning why the things we do? Why not? Why not maybe is the question that we need to ask ourselves more than anything else. Let's stand. Lord, we just, we thank you, God, for the life-changing experiences and moments, God, that you give us. Lord, we repent for the ways that we've avoided the life-changing experiences, Lord, that have been posed to us. Lord, we ask that you would mold our hearts and shape our hearts, God, to be fully conformed, God, to your mission. Lord, we pray that you would give us such a heart, God, for your people. Lord, that there would be such an uprising, such a move, Jesus, of a calling that we've been searching for that would come clear and a focus tonight. As we were praying in the back tonight, I felt that there's somebody that needs to hear confirmation that they are to be a missionary in the mission field. I felt that there's somebody that's been looking and wondering if they should go out and go onward and, and, and leave what they have. And I, I felt so, with such great conviction, there's somebody here that is looking for that confirmation to step out and take that chance. Just like I was was hesitant on my trip that there is somebody that stands at the threshold of their life being changed and that God is calling you to step forward in boldness. I believe that there's someone tonight that needs to hear that. So Lord, would you shape our hearts, mold it, Lord, purge out any desire of ours that is not your desire. God, we boldly pray that the things that break your heart would break our hearts. Lord, may we not live the same lives that we came in living. But Lord, that you would expose us to opportunities and to people and to issues and causes, Lord, that, that need people like us, Lord, to get involved and say, I have a role in this. Lord, the greatest obstacle is ourselves and we repent, God, for the ways in which we've held back. Lord, let us move forward boldly. Let us seek your heart. Let us seek mercy and justice and righteousness. Lord, let us use our vocation and our giftings and our abilities and our talents, Lord, for significance. And all I do, God, tonight just ask that you would reveal the opportunity that you want for your people. God, this season of life, that you would make crystal clear the opportunity, God, that meets right up with the giftings that you've already given us to serve your people. Lord, cause an uprising in us, Lord, that we'd be famous for the way that we chase your heart. And God, we pray that, Lord, we would have the power, that our hearts would weep and our hearts would break in such grandeur that you yourself, Lord, would weep over the same circumstances. 
Lord, I believe with everything in me that when our heart is broken, God, you are near. So, Lord, we just pray, God, as we want you near to break our hearts for those things. Hmm. I also, Lord, just ask of those who need healing, God, whether it is a physical ailment, Lord, that we would have people that would weep, God, for those who have infirmity. And Lord, as you brought Lazarus out of the tomb, Lord, that when your heart weeps, Lord, you're able to move us into supernatural experiences with you. So Lord, I ask that if there's anybody, Lord, that needs a touch from you, that our body would weep, God, with you over that. And if there's anybody who needs healing of a heart that has been squashed and squandered on the things of the world, that there's a heart that is incapable of having sorrow and sympathy, Lord, for the things that, that are before our eyes, the atrocities, Lord, I pray that you would mend that heart. You would speak life in it. You would soften it, Lord. Where there's hearts of stone, Lord, we pray for hearts of flesh. God, we want to be those who weep before you. Because, God, that you are near. Help us in that, Lord. Have us have the eyes. Lord, if there's anybody that needs to be commissioned, I pray that your voice would ring clear. Lord, we are your servants. We are listening. Speak now, Lord. We love you, Lord. We expect amazing things, God, when we come into your presence. Do that in us tonight, Lord. And as we worship, I pray anybody who needs a, a touch, who needs prayer, Lord, will come forward. We'll have people on the side. And as we sing these worship songs, as we end our night with this, Lord, that you would draw us into that secret place, the intimate heart, Lord, where we come face to face with your heart. We love you.